0: Uh, So reading from Psalm 95, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years, I was angry with that generation. I said, "They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways." So I declared on oath in anger, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest."
1: Thanks, Andrew, for reading that. Please keep your Bibles open. Um, Uh, It's a real uh, privilege to share the Word of God um, this morning. Um, How about I pray to begin? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts this morning. Please help us to listen to your Word. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Uh, Corporate singing is alive and well in our society. Despite what, what some might say. Uh, the last time I went to a Hurricanes match at the Caketon, um, I noticed that after every try that was scored, after every penalty goal, the songs would start playing over the speakers and many people would sing. Uh, I've been watching the Rugby World Cup over in France uh, um, at the moment. People are singing all the time, right? Every stadium. I remember watching that first game between uh, France and and New Zealand, and uh, the French were singing so loudly. They were jumping up and down, giving each other side hugs as they um, uh, celebrated their victory in song. Now, just before the pandemic, Pauline and I uh, went to see Jacob Collier uh, here in Wellington. Hands up if you've heard of Jacob Collier before. Okay, a few of us, that's interesting. Now, um, if you don't know him, and many people don't know him, uh, he's a very eccentric jazz musician. And he's well known for including the audience in his performance. Right? He, he would basically transform uh, the audience into a choir. Uh, he'll get different sections of, uh, of the crowd to sing different harmonies, and then he'll put them all together in a beautiful symphony. It's a phenomenal experience. But what's, what's the point here? Everybody sang. Everybody participated. People sing a lot, and they sing a lot at music concerts. Uh, my wife, Pauline, and our daughter, Kiana, go to Play Center each week, and it's not uncommon for them to sing during sessions, right? They'll do a waiata uh, most mornings, and the kids love it. They love it. I went to Wellington College here in Wellington. And one of my fondest memories was a school assembly where we sang songs, yeah, a bunch of boys singing songs. And the, most, the song I most enjoyed singing was Bread of Heaven. Most of my friends were not Christians. Many, many students at the school were not Christians, but we sang this traditional Christian hymn. Why? Well, it's because there's a particular line or a refrain in the song um, that the boys love to belt out. And if you don't know what I mean, uh, feel free to speak with Roger or Howard. They'll know exactly what I mean. But what's my point? People sing. Okay, people sing in pubs. They sing in clubs. They sing at concerts and festivals. They sing at, uh, at sporting fixtures. They sing in schools. They sing in karaoke lounges. Corporate singing is alive and well in our society. Now, there's one place in our society where corporate singing happens the most, I think. Do you know where that is? Here. It's at church. You won't find people singing in a temple or a mosque. Now, don't get me wrong. They do chant. They do pray out loud. But they don't sing. We do, though. Christians sing. If you drive by most churches uh, on a Sunday morning, you'll hear music, you'll hear voices coming out from the buildings. People are singing together. Now, why do we sing? Well, some might say it's because we worship God. Okay, great. Right, that's true. But what is worship? Like, what's the nature of it? Is it just singing? Or is it something more? And why do we even bother? Well, Psalm 95 is going to address these questions this morning. This psalm is going to teach us three things about worship, okay? Three things. Firstly, it calls us to worship. Secondly, it gives us reasons for worship. And thirdly, it shows us the urgency of worship. Once again, it calls us to worship, gives us reasons for worship, and it shows us the urgency of worship. Firstly, it calls us to worship. Um, in, my, uh, in my Anglican tradition, there's something called the Anglican Prayer Book. Hands up if you've heard of this before, the Anglican Prayer Book. Okay, more hands this time. Um, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's a bunch of prayers and liturgies and confessions for the church to use. Now, in many virgi- uh, uh, versions, and Psalm 95 is meant to be read every single day, sort of like a daily devotion. Right? It's meant to be used every single day in the Christian life. Now, that might seem a bit excessive. Why would you do that? And why this psalm? Well, we'll certainly see some of the reasons why. Uh, but this psalm is appropriate to be used in corporate worship as well. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. This is a call to sing God's praises. It's a call to celebrate his goodness, to declare him as the rock of our salvation, to give him thanks for all that he's done for us, and to do so by playing music and singing together. Notice there's no hint of apathy here. It's intentional and it's joyful. If you were to survey the Christian church uh, across all denominations, across all the ages, you'll notice a bit of a trend. And what is it? It's God's people worshiping in music and song, like we've done this morning so far. And it makes total sense. Why? Why? Because when God calls a people out of darkness, and when he gathers a people for himself, it's only appropriate that his people respond in worship. Now, some of my um, non-Christian friends would describe us as happy clappers. Have you heard that before? Okay, Christians are known as happy clappers. Um, it's kind of used in a slightly derogatory way. But you know what? There's something true about that, Right? As Christians, we are people of joy, and we sing to our God. We praise him for who he is and what he's done. Worshiping God is just being true to who we are. Now, specifically, what are the reasons for worship? And this is point number two. Okay, Let's look at some of the reasons why we worship him. Verses three to five. Have a look there. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So why do we worship? Well, it says he's our great God, the Lord of lords, the one who's above all. If God really is God, then he alone is deserving of our worship. No one else and nothing else can take that place. Only him alone. And the psalmist continues, God's the one who created all things. Everything we see, he spoke into existence. It's all made by him and for him from the mountain peaks to the depths of the sea. Now, if you know anything about, uh, about ancient cultures, particularly those in sort of Old Testament times, people had a very different view of the sea. It's not a place where you find people surfing and enjoying the waves and swimming about. No, the ocean was terrifying. Okay? It symbolized chaos and judgment. And the psalmist says, even this place God has made. And He sovereignly rules over it. Everything is made by Him and for Him. Right? That's how great He is. But is is this the only reason why we worship Him? No. There's more. Okay, have a look at verse six. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Notice how the psalmist says He is the Lord. Our maker. Okay, look, God didn't just make everything you see, He made you. And because He made you, your very purpose is to worship Him. You could say worshiping God is simply finding your purpose in life. But the psalmist goes on, He doesn't stop there, He gives another reason to worship. Have a look at verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God isn't just our creator, he's our shepherd. We are the sheep under his care, and we belong to him now. I have a a cousin in law who's a real life shepherd. That's her job. So, that's actually her job title. She's a shepherd. Right? And she's based down in mid-Canterbury now. Years ago, my wife and I visited her farm, and we went looking for lost sheep. <laughs> Why? Because sheep wander. I don't think I need to uh, convince you of that. They lose their way often. And being the good shepherd that she is, she, know, she knows where to look for her lost sheep. She knows how to bring them back to the fold. Look, how much more so with God? God who's our true and better shepherd, right? We like sheep go for a wander and we too get lost. And yet God comes to find us. He rescues us. He brings us back to the fold. Is that how you see yourself? Do we know that we are the people of his pasture? We are the flock under his care. That's who we are. Do you know that? In spite of us going for a wander, perhaps, in spite of us losing our way, what, this past week, this past month, year, maybe, in spite of how weak we might feel our faith is, God comes to find us. He's our good shepherd. He brings us back, for we belong to him. If you ever feel iffy about your faith, you can be sure of his faithfulness. If you ever feel like you're lost, You can be sure that he'll find you and keep you. Look, can you see how he's not just our maker, but our shepherd? Do you see that? Right? And you can be safe and secure in him. Now, um, if you look back at verse 6 again, you'll see that the word Lord is in capitals. Right? You see that? Lord, capitals. Why? Well, because in the original, uh, that's the covenantal name of God. Okay, that's Yahweh. Only those who know him and are known by him can address him in that way. Right, can you see the intimacy there? Right, can you see how committed God is to his people, his covenant people? And it's the name by which only his covenant people can refer to him as no one else has the right to call out to God in this way. And that's who our God is. He's a God who's committed to us, a God who's, who's rescued us, a God who is our good shepherd. And these are the reasons why we worship him. Now, thirdly and finally, the urgency of worship. The psalm changes tone uh, at this point. I don't know if you noticed uh, that in the initial reading. Up until now, it's been uh, a call to worship, right? The call to bow down before Yahweh, Uh, The maker, the shepherd, the savior. But now there's a warning. And it's a sobering warning. The psalmist says at the end of verse 7 Today, if only you would hear his voice. He's saying, Everyone, stop what you're doing. Listen up. Pay attention right now. The psalmist changes from speaking in the third person. To the first person. Do you notice that? Why? To show God's direct speech to his people. It's an urgent message. It's a sobering message. And what is it? Verses 8 and 9. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had had seen what I did. God is saying, listen to me. Listen to this warning. Those with ears, let them hear. Do not harden your heart to my word. Don't be like those at Meribah and Massa." Now, where are these locations? They're just place names, all right? So Meribah means quarreling, and Massa means testing. In other words, these were places where God's people didn't listen To God's word. They quarreled with each other and with Moses and with God. They tested him. Uh, In Exodus chapter 17, after God had saved his people from slavery in Egypt, they were camped in the desert. There was no water and the people complained. And now God, through the psalm, is saying to us, remember those people back then. Don't be like them. Listen up. Do not harden your hearts like they did. Listen to my word. Look, Psalm 95 is about worship. It's right to say that worship involves singing praises to God, like we did this morning. Yes, it involves praying, like we did this morning as well. Yes, it involves reading God's word, like we also did this morning. Yes, it involves gathering as God's people, like what we're doing right now. But did you know what? Worship is about worship. Listening And that's listening to God's word. Right now, as I'm talking in this well it's not a pulpit, sort of just a stand, what's happening, do you think? Right? Well, at one level, I'm explaining the passage in front of us. yeah? I'm unpacking the text before us. But what's actually happening? Well, God's speaking to us through His word, right now. In this very moment, you can hear his voice through the scriptures. And what is he saying? Don't harden your heart. Learn from the past. Listen to my word. That's what he's saying. And look, when you're listening to him, you're worshiping him. Uh, we live in an age in which we hear all kinds of messages. Yeah? We have all kinds of voices speaking to us, and they're speaking to us loudly. And they tell things like, uh, just be true to yourself. Right? Do whatever's best for your career. Don't forget to love yourself. They tell us where to live, what to buy, how to spend your retirement, uh, what you should eat, how to get fit, who you should be with, who you shouldn't be with. How to raise your children? These messages are coming to us loud and clear. But, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are we listening to what God has to say in His Word? Perhaps you've been convicted by God's Word recently. Okay. Perhaps you've been challenged by a sermon you've heard. You know, maybe the, the, the last series we went through as a church together, you found it, you found that really challenging and convicting. And then maybe you thought to yourself, you know what? I think I need to follow that up. Okay, I'm going to get to that one day. I really should get to that one day. Well, this passage is saying, not one day, but today. If you would only hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Look, if you need to do your business with God, do so. If you need to make changes in response to God's word, do so. Don't delay. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet, right? So you've come to church uh, for a while now, but you haven't yet responded to God in repentance and faith. Can I ask, what are you waiting for? Today, if you would only hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. While God is still giving you the chance to respond to him, do so before it's too late. Now it's a sobering end to the Psalm because uh, of the warning that God gives. For 40 years. So I check that out. 40 years, God's people were wandering in the desert because they didn't listen to him. And so his anger was upon him. And during this time, they never entered into the promised land, right? It was a tragedy. They never received rest. They were meant to settle in uh, the land that God promised. They were meant to have peace. Their life was meant to be full of joy, but they missed out. Why? Because they refused to listen to God's word. Well, do you know uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, it quotes this psalm this morning? But instead of speaking of physical rest, it speaks of a spiritual one. It speaks of a Sabbath rest, a place where you'll settle in spiritually, if you like, a place where you have peace with God and life would make sense and be full of everlasting joy. And here's the million-dollar question. How do we enter into that rest? And the answer is, Hebrews 4, by listening to God's word. Trusting in God's word is not easy, all right? It's, not, it's actually quite hard. It's confronting. It's challenging. But it's how you find rest. If Psalm 95 is a warning to God's people back in King David's time, then Hebrews chapter 4 applies that warning to us right here, right now. And the warning is, don't harden your heart to God's word. Um, listen to what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13 says. You don't have to look it up. You can if you want to. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. Uh, do listen up. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Notice what the word does here. It's it's living. It's active. It's working. It pierces your soul. By way of application, do you know how to work out if you're still growing as a Christian? Well, here it is. You're letting God's word confront you. Okay? In other words, you're sitting under God's word, not over it. You don't judge it; you let it judge you. And it's hard. I know it's hard. And it's incredibly difficult. Why? Because it's convicting. But the sign that you're still growing as a Christian is you're listening to God's word, and you're not just hearing it; you're receiving it by faith. Right? You're trusting in God's word, even when it's hard. But that's a sign of growth. And look, the inverse is also true. Do you know how to work out whether you're not growing as a Christian? Well, it's if you close yourself to God's word. Right? You shut this book. Okay? You harden your heart to the scriptures. It's when you stop listening to God and his word. Dear brothers and sisters, God's word is good. It's not just right and true. Yes, it is right and true. But it's also good. It's for our flourishing. It's alive. It's active. It's where we find life. How so? Because it's about Jesus, right? His God's word made flesh as Jesus. Jesus is the true uh, rock of our salvation that the psalm talks about. He's the good and true shepherd. He's our maker and redeemer. He's the one who gives us true rest. Rest for our souls, Look, the antidote to worldly anxiety is spiritual rest. And this is found by listening to God's word. So let us not harden ourselves to it. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you call us to worship you for you are the rock of our salvation. Keep our hearts soft. Please, Lord, keep our hearts soft so that we keep listening to your word so that we keep growing in Christ always. Father God, thank you for feeding us by your words. Help us to trust it. Please give us rest. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the band uh, to come up now. Um, I think it's appropriate that we respond in song. Uh, We respond by singing his praises. Uh, For he made us, he has shown us mercy, he's forgiven us of our sin. He's worthy of our praise. So let's uh, sing the song, Rejoice, and let the song help us rejoice in Him. Thanks, Musos.